All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H20 1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H20 1820. Dog tested. All right, baby, Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro, and in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints, and, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel it's force fetch baby it's the number one question we get asked you don't know how to fix it let me help you let me get you to your goals we built a course bunch of videos i think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully the link's in the description be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog The second morning, we were about to leave, and Max said, you want to take Parrish? I said, you sure? And he's like, yeah. So we took Parrish, and it was just Parrish and a group of about seven guys in the big woods and straight legs. At one more point in the morning, a group of teal came in, two mallards. The two mallards brought the teal in, and they swung around and just did it right to the decoys. And we shot six or seven teal and, and both mallards out of the group. And Parrish just methodically, slowly just went and picked every duck up without me saying a word. Max looked around, he's like, that, that's a $19 dog right there. <laughs> All right, what's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We've got Brad Eldridge on the line with us from Parish Waterfowl. Brad and I got to hunt together. Oh, man, it's been probably close to a month now. But if you go back a few episodes of our Mississippi trip, that was with Brad. And so I got to meet him, hunt with him, hang out, listen to him, blow a duck call. Brad, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm excited to, to be on here. Heck yeah, buddy. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I'm Brad Eldridge, uh, owner of Parish Waterfowl Company. Call maker, espresso uh, owner, uh, and uh, love to hunt. That's about it. Oh, man, I don't know about that. There's a lot more to you. But, yes, one of the things that I think is bad to the bone, Jackson, Mississippi, right? Vicksburg, Mississippi. Vicksburg, but we flew into Jackson. Yes, flew into Jackson, drove over to Vicksburg. He is not only a call maker, but his call making shop is in a coffee shop that he owns and it is like a duck hunting freaking real deal coffee shop that's like beautiful um so tell everybody how you kind of got into that mode of doing both 
back in my 20s, I, I always thought it'd be cool to own a coffee shop. I just, the idea of, uh, of the smell and, the, and the, uh, the, the fellowship that could be had in there and just my natural uh, inclination to want to talk to people and, and meet new people and stuff. And then uh, that was kind of put on the back burner just for fear of entrepreneurship, always being a W-2 employee. And uh, then I started making duck calls on my back porch uh, closet uh, about three years ago now, I, mean, I guess four years uh, in March. And um, within a year of doing that, uh, my book of business was was so far out that I had kind of the confidence to go out on my own and thought it'd be cool to uh, showcase that the niche of call making uh, in a public forum and wanted to build streams of income around that. So kind of brought back the coffee shop idea and thought that'd go good in downtown Vicksburg. And that's kind of been the case. Do you sell like a specialty kind of coffee out of there? Like, is there, is it your own roast or is it like a different type of deal? Yeah. When I first opened, I had the help of a coffee shop owner in Natchez, Mississippi, just south of me, kind of sister city and <clears throat> going around to coffee shops because I had no idea how to own a coffee shop. It seemed like he had the best tasting coffee that I had tried. And so I, I kind of, made him take me under his wing and then ultimately he hooked me up with his uh bean provider out of new orleans uh dominican family in the ninth war that had kind of a generational coffee roasting company and delicious beans good price and a few months ago um, a local brewery in vicksburg right down the road from me key city started roasting coffee on a commercial scale and brought some beans down had me try them the quality was on par with what I was was already using, and so being local down the road from me, and uh, just kind of wanted to help patronize somebody in my city. I went with them, so now I get my coffee two blocks down from me. That's super cool. So you invited us to your your coffee shop. That was the first place that I got to meet you. And you walk in, and there's old decoys, there's shin waders, there's shotgun shells. There's a cool bar area for the coffee shop and then up on this platform for all to be beholden is your call making section. And it's like behind glass. And so let's just say on a Tuesday, I walked in and I'm grabbing a cup of coffee. You could be in there on the lathe making a call, working on a call. I think that that's bad to the bone. It's, it's such homage to your area call making community and it's got to draw in a crowd where they're just like a people maybe not even know what you're doing in there but just like your coffee or people are coming in there by the coffee because of the the duck call yeah so we get a, a really strong um european and, and and foreign presence in vicksburg just due to its corridor and the the route that they take when they travel to the u.s uh, a lot of tours are kind of considered music tours, starting in Nashville, go to Memphis, Clarksdale, Birthplace of Blues. Vicksburg is kind of en route uh, to New Orleans, and they having all the history of the Civil War and everything. We get Europeans to come in, and then obviously we get people that have heard about Parish Waterfowl that come in, and you can usually tell the difference. You know, you have your locals, then you have your Europeans that come for coffee, and then you have kids coming in with Sitka hats on and, you know, hunting shirts and stuff. And so 
Yeah, it's a, it's unique. Uh, just who's going to walk through the door at any given time. I can't imagine. The cool part about you, Brad, and this is something that I want to dive into because I'm new to it. Cut down calls. I'm on a Facebook page now. Since our trip, you guys inspired me to learn more about them and dive into this weird world. Like, I bet my brother doesn't even really know what a cut down call is because I didn't either. Well, yeah, yeah. So I I get the gist of it, but I want someone else also more. listening may not. So can you just give us a, a breakdown of a cut down? I will. What got me into the world of duck calls was a J-frame. It's an Arkansas-style you look at the tone board, it's kind of shaped like a J uh, with a cork notch that holds a cork and a reed to the tone board. And then, um, so I made J-Frame custom duck calls for a while. And then the cut down world was something I wasn't real familiar with. And to hear people associate me with the cut down world is kind of funny because there's so many more, you know, even current and living guys that are way more considered cut down guys than myself. But that being said, it, it intrigued me. I love flooded timber. I didn't grow up with a huge duck hunting heritage. My dad deer hunted. My grandfather, my whole family were deer hunters. And so I randomly went duck hunting with my uncle at about 13. And that turned me on to duck hunting in a way that uh, I never went back to deer hunting. But that being said, Louisiana guys during the you know 90s were blowing haydale calls and then real close to the river mississippi river and mississippi uh you started getting primos calls and those were uh just your cheap 20 dollars double reed duck calls made in mississippi and louisiana rod haydale um well rod's dad i think but rod's kind of the owner now and then the will primos and that group from uh from mississippi so getting into the cut downs Basically, the, what started it was the PS Ult, and then there were other calls, you know, Yitsons and other calls during that time that guys cut, and they called them all cut downs. But I think a lot of people would say that the PS Ult, Pekin, Illinois, was the first real mainstream cut down, and, and it was the fact that it had some attributes about it that made it, it gave it a lot of potential, but it was kind of like resting potential. Uh, the duck call was one of the first mass production call companies in the, the country in the early 1900s. And during around the 1920s, going into the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, they started uh, making keyhole inserts. Actually, some of the first ones were early 1900s, uh, the pre-patent days, but they patented. I'm not 100% on what the patent was. I think it may have been the hard rubber material they were using because there's crow calls and, and other types of calls with that same patent number that have that same material, but 348205. And uh, they, they used a hard rubber. Hold on real quick. Say that number again, because that was something that I learned there that was like, that number was special. It was like the rubber, the whatever that was. Yeah. Say it one more time. The, the 348205 registered trademark number is stamped onto the barrel and to the insert of these hard rubber PSOs. As time went on, the hard rubber became less accessible, more expensive. And so they started swapping to materials like plastic. And so just from my assumptions of the, the history of that was they had a bunch of 348205 hard rubber inserts 
and they started stuffing them with plastic barrels, like stuffing those inserts into plastic barrels in like the 60s and 70s. So really my favorite ones of those calls were the 40s and 50s calls where the entire call was a 348205 made of hard rubber that out of the box sounded pretty weak. I've had a couple. I've got one right now that I'll never cut because it sounds phenomenal for some reason. And there's a little secret that I think some of the old school guys did where they took the tip of the reed and bent it slightly up. And something about that freed that call up and made it blow better. But for the most part, if you pushed on it at all, it would squeal out, sound like an elk call almost. But with some alterations to the tone board, sometimes taking a different reed and a cork, you could make a call because of its upslope tone board, the deep channel caused by the parting line in the mold uh, that made it the keyhole, uh, gave it the key-shaped exhaust, that deep channel in there, and the upslope tone board and the hard rubber all together just, when cut properly is unmatched in flooded timber. Like you, you, you can't have a better sounding call. I don't think the one downside is of, it, of them is that they are prone to uh, sticking with moisture. And so a lot of guys carry a dollar bill in their pocket, clean them out throughout the morning and just deal with the fact that you're going to have a stick on you. I've got one right now I'm using that doesn't stick very bad and it's pretty versatile. And so I think a lot of guys would say, the way I cut a PSO is very versatile. You can bark in, you can really lean on it and get loud, but you can also get really low. I think that's kind of, to me, the the magical part of a PSO is making it. And that's what Jim Bronk was, you know, living legend of PSO cutting out game calls said while we were hunting within that weekend was that, you know, a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, it's great, loud call, very aggressive in the woods, but the beauty in those calls is their ability to low feed and sound really raspy and ducky on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. That's so when I duck call and I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm very humble at my duck calling, but I like that rasp getting low and quiet when they're working closer. And I like being able to finesse them in close I feel like that's more of a skill set that I have than the hail call and bringing them in from a quarter mile away. You know, it's like, it's when they're close and I'm just chuckling at them and just touching them and just hearing a little bit there. And I feel like some of the calls that I've had in the past, when I get them in close, I can't quiet them down. And so I, I literally have a no name. No, I don't know. I couldn't buy another one. If they handed it to me, I wouldn't know what it was. And I can get that finesse out of it. And so I really, really, really want me. You're going to help me with this. I want a PSO cut down by you and by next duck season. I know you're backlogged. I know you're all whatever, but by next October, brother, I need one and I want to play with it and, and see how I can finesse it because that was something that both you and Jimbo were doing in the woods. Uh, it was, you know, it, it, it's twofold. One, I think it's, it's an art, not a science. Reading the ducks and figuring out what you need to do in that moment. But then having a call that is versatile enough to give you both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, and I use golf in a lot of analogies with duck hunting, but it's kind of like golf in the sense that everybody wants to drive the ball 300 yards, right? But the real winners in golf are the guys with the short game. 
guys that can chip and putt, you know, you've heard the saying, drives for show, putting's for dough. Hell Collins for show, feeding, quacking, and knowing when to do is for us when you're calling ducks in, I think. Yeah, that's getting them at 60 yards into 25 yards and feet down. That's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the what was the first moment that you held a PS old and you were like, I'm going to try and cut this thing down. And how did it go? It was not very long ago, considerably. I mean, I'd say two years ago. And it was just the fact that I was intrigued by it. And, um, you know, to go on to what I was saying about the history of the PS old and the, PS, uh, and the cut now call was that, you know, as time went on, modern call makers started replicating the attributes of the PSO with the upslope tongue bore, you know, bored out exhaust, um, you know, shorter exhaust than, than tongue bore, and uh, it has a longer tongue board on it too. So they were replicating that and giving a very similar shape, you know, a lot of cut down, you know, for, for the J-Frame custom call community, it's find your own sound and also find your own shape. You know, if you're making a call that looks like another guy's call, which is, it's really hard not to at this point because everything's been made, but you can still, I mean, just small nuances in, in the turning of a barrel and an insert, if you can make your call stand out. And so, but then when it comes to cut downs, it's kind of like everybody wants one looks somewhat like a PSO or a Mondo. The Mondo, I give R&T that, and that was a lot of Jim's doing was, coming out with a cut down call that had a shape completely different than a PSO. And so now there's call companies that replicate kind of the same shape as a Mondo. So it's pretty cool. So I'll give you, I'll give you another pat on the back real quick. So on that Facebook page, it's like all things cut down or whatever. Something close to that. If not that dude, there are people that are like, I was on it today. It was like, I'm selling my whole collection except for my PSO in my parish i'm like oh bro he's coming on the show tonight you know like this you have made a name in the cut down world for both doing your pso like what how do you say it alteration uh is what's the word people say uh cut i'd love to have you put your put your cut on on my old and you know, I get messages on us on a weekly basis. Do you have any PSOs that you can cut or any available or I've got one my grandfather had or whatever? And, you know, it's bittersweet. And it's it's kind of one of those things where I question my own abilities sometimes. Josh Teff owns Falco Outfitters in Oklahoma, big, big duck club out there. And he's one of the kind of OG guys that grew up hunting public Arkansas has the air of an air compressor and i had a pso that i had tuned up perfectly for me i went out to, to falco and hunted last year we were all hanging out in the god shack and i grabbed it and handed it to him and he one lick on blew right through and i was like it humbled me like yeah i mean i can grab it and make it sound good but a guy that blows a cut down i'd say almost like you're supposed to bud could blow right through it. And so I was like, I go back to the drawing board and figure out how to get it good on the bottom, but also a guy that has some horsepower doesn't blow through the, through the read on it. And so it's kind of bittersweet when you have one, somebody sends you to cut and you know that there's only a finite amount of them left in the market. 
And so that's why they're going up, up, up in value for an uncut, unaltered one. And, you know, I'm blessed to be a, one of a handful of guys in this country that can cut one and sell it for more than an uncut one is. But at the same time, I know that I'm deleting one more little piece of history that's been untampered with, you know, and then, but that being said, it's not a very functional call until you do put a, a, a decent cut on it. And so it's bittersweet, but at the end of the day, like if guys want a call that I put my hands on, that's to me, that's an honor. Absolutely. You know what I think about when I see stuff like that and also why I want one? It's it's legit like I don't need one, but I want one is the same reason I shoot that over and under with the bent ribs and the scratches all up and down it. And you know, it's just some nostalgia and the memories. And so the the person who owned that before me. What did they do? What did they harvest? Where did they go? Where across the country? Like you're in Mississippi, but right now you're in Kansas. You know, that call that Stevie, you know, in 1950s had, and he was in Arkansas or Louisiana or Nebraska. Now I have it in my possession and you cut it down for me. And now it's in New York and wherever I go. Yeah. Like that's pretty cool. It really is. And, any cordage that I buy an old stick that the cordage comes on, I'll leave on there. This is kind of the lanyard I'm running this year, which is basically a leather string that was already on this chocolate barrel. It's old. And I just left it on there. I put a little brass clip on the end and put it on my zipper. So it hangs there. That's I use that call on that side. And then on this side, I'm running a, a J frame. And so pretty low profile. This one's on a retractable wire, but I just, I figured this year I'd try to go without, without a lanyard around my neck. I've been really enjoying not having it, but the point is, is that if I find a little piece of history, like a, a piece of leather, like who knows how long that joker's been on there, tied in a knot, wrapped in wire, you know? Dude, how about when Frank, we talked about the Mississippi trip, so if you haven't tuned into that episode, you should. But uh, Frank had you do a cut down and you left. It was like twine and a lanyard and twine. And he's like, here we go. And he cut it off. And everyone standing around him was like, what the F? You cut that? That, is, that could be 60 years old. He's like, yeah, but but I didn't want it. And everyone was like, you're an idiot. So I, I like that nostalgia, man. Duck hunting is it's about the friends that you go. It's about the dogs that you do it with. And the other pieces are duck calling and working ducks, gun you shoot, the memories you guys make. And I think having an old school duck call is legit. What? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you there. Hey, how about that Kent cartridge, baby? They got that fast steel 2.0. If you're not in the market for bismuth, I get it. But fast steel 2.0 is a great option for you and your dog to get more ducks in the bag. Strap them up, strap them in. Kent fast steel 2.0. Let's go. From the duck blind to the holding blind, baby, it's Purina. The food that fuels the truck of lone duck. The big dogs are eating the 3020 Purina Pro Plan Sport. We do the chicken blend. I've also had friends that have super success on the salmon blend, but it's a great food to fuel the athlete that gives you their all. So why don't you give them your all? Feed Purina.
So what, hold on, Kevin, real quick, and then you jump back in. You yourself turn duck calls. So you, you'll do a old and you'll cut it down your style, your way, but you also do new ones. What is that like? And what is your favorite one to do? Like, how do you figure that out? And the, people call me an artist. I'm like, I watched a YouTube video. You know, I did something that nobody, everybody else could do if they really wanted to. It's not, not, but you know, I guess there's some degree of art in the shape, and then there's art in the sound. You know, like you said, there's an art to calling and ducks and stuff too. But I started off, like I said, with a flat jig, making a J frame duck call, and now I prefer, you know, calls that aren't even my. You know, it's like. I'm not going to sit here and fake and, and blow, you know, say I only blow my calls. My calls are the best. The fact is, is that everybody's air is different the way they presented it to a call. And so, you know, I, this call I got in a trade a long time ago. It's a Larco, which is a Joe Lair's call. I got a California highly sought after calls. And this one's kind of random because he made it after he sold the company Lair's and it's not the same shape as the Lair's and, it's just a very ducky call that I've always loved having on my lanyard. And it's the connection I made with the guy I traded it with. It's been awesome. He and I are still good friends. He lives in Kentucky. I talk to him all the time. And then uh, then PSO is obvious best sounding call in the world when cut right. And so I, I do rotate my calls onto my lanyard too. I've got uh, a hard rubber of my old series that I did, a CNC call. And uh, I've, I've rotated some of my wood calls on there. The thing about it is, is all my wood calls get myself. As soon as I make a call by hand, it's it's out the door. My books are two years out, and I honestly don't know that I'll ever make all the, the orders I have on the books now, just because I'm a little, I'm not burnt out. I still love getting over the lathe. It's just, it's very tedious, time-consuming work that once I opened my store and started selling mass production calls, that became kind of the facet of my business. And I still love the idea that I've got a shop. I can go in and make somebody like you a handmade call on a nice rainy afternoon after the hunt, you know, we're sitting around drinking coffee, making a duck call. And that's cool. And it's cool that I can make that and those pieces of, of art and history for people to pass down the generations and stuff. But it's honestly just, uh, I'd rather cut on a PSO <laughs> and, <laughs> and then go duck on it. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. You would certainly do a whole lot of duck hunting. And if I imagine hunted over a lot of different dogs, can you talk about your dog a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. I got to meet him. He's a freaking bear. He's a, he's a bear. <laughs> yeah. He's on the back end of his career. I took him yesterday with my daughter and we shot a couple of green heads and a couple of moth ducks. And he is such a slow poke at this point. He just, he's 115 pounds. He's probably seven, eight years old. I got Paris from an animal shelter about three and a half years ago, three years ago. And he was 95 pounds. And they said he was two and a half, but I think he was closer to three and a half. I got it for $19. And it was just on a whim. He turned out to be spectacular just very obedient have been trained really hard it's kind of weird the way that he almost was kind of coward like he'd been trained aggressively 
but he'd definitely been like force fetch trained and would hold ducks in his mouth, a soft mouth. He'd hold them in his mouth and he took hand signals kind of haphazardly and he kind of knew where I'm going to go. But if he smelled something good using his nose, I've seen him make some incredible retrieve, busting ice, kept getting ducks out of the Snake River in Idaho. He retrieved a band on about a 200 yard retreat out to the Snake River. It's pretty incredible, good memory. And just, man, for $19, he's done absolutely. And one of the most photogenic dogs I've ever hunted over. I've hunted over some pretty dogs, and I'm not being subjective. I, I truly think he'll be one of the prettiest dogs I've ever taken pictures of. So talk about the Snake River retrieve and maybe like another memorable one. Like when he's gone, you'll you'll talk about forever. Yes. So, uh Five, four or five of us on bank with Snake River shot a bunch of ducks, probably six or seven out of a group of 30 mallards at daylight. And we had three dogs that morning. We had two dogs and we pull up to the bank and there's a flashlight where we were planning on setting up. And I said, we're running with them. I don't know who it is, but we're not running with them. And we pull up, shut the engine off. And I said, hey, and it's, I, I hear, hey. And I was like, is that a lady? And it was a 13-year-old boy that had kayaked up the river, down the river, I don't know, across the river, with a 100-pound pound dog as well, a chocolate one. And then my dog and, and the guy I was with dog. And so we shot 25 hours that morning with, with that kid, and, and uh, he had a freaking blast. And uh, so we shot those six or seven down at daylight, and the dog started going out to get them. And from about when the parish had to go way out because we waited a minute till we sound and the river's running. And when he gets about 50 yards from me, I can see it shining. It's up out of the water. And I'm like jumping up and down, screaming. And uh, as soon as he got to the bank, I'm taking pictures of him with him, with the band and stuff. And I look around at my buddy and he goes, I guess you're claiming that band, huh? And I said, can anybody say they shot that dog? And nobody, everybody hesitated. I said, Parrish gets the band. They're like, all right, Parrish gets the band. So he put it on his collar. And uh, another memorable retreat was last year on the 23rd. I think it was the second, I mean, it was 24th. It was Christmas Eve. I didn't have any Christmas plans for Christmas Eve. So I, I went duck hunting because there was some big freebies. And we had a lot of ducks on Mr. Hunter's property. And he and I are sitting there together. And it was, I'd never seen a black duck in, in real, in real life, been hunting for 25 years. And we, we had two swoop through and leave us just kind of dumbfounded the week before those same two did it to us again that morning with a pair of mallards. We had 15 mallards working and looked down and pair of mallards, pair of green, uh, gray, uh, black swooping through the decoys. Oh, didn't get them. Never saw them again, but, uh, really cool. And then shot a teal down and we sent parish and we had broken ice to get to the blind on the tree line we were in. And then there was a little thawed out hole where we had our decoys. It was the only thawed water in the whole property and they were coming to it. And we shot a teal down and landed on the ice and parish left, left the blind and started taking a totally different route. And I'm freaking out because this inch and a half thick ice and Mr. Hunter, I, I'm like, parish, no, I'm willing to take the trail we took in. And he said, no, let him go. So Parrish gets down there out of the barn and eases down to the water's edge and runs into that ice and it 
busted. It cracked for 40 yards of foam. He hit his chest on it and it just <laughs> all the way across and gave him a totally new route to that deal. And he goes out to it and I pull, I get out of the blind and I pull my camera out and I just happen to have it slow motion mode. And it's on my Instagram feed down there sometime. You'll see, you can see like him on a retreat. And he he's just busting through ice, getting to that teal. You know, the coolest video. And it, at that time had gotten like the most traction meeting video I ever posted on Instagram with the music and everything. And like he puts his paw up on the ice and it goes down and then the water comes shooting out of the air from the ice going down into the water and then he grabs the teal. You can see it sniffing in slow motion and he grabs the teal and it turns around and it gets blurry and it was just unbelievable. And one more time, took him to Straight Lake Lodge in Arkansas, one of the most sought after places in the country to hunt ducks. And I just took him to get him out of my wife's hair. I was invited by Max and Levi Sharp, the owner. And they got I got there, they had a wood sign with parish burnt into it to put on his kennel that he was going to be staying in, like all their other camp dogs. And then the second morning, we were about to leave, and Max said, you don't take Parrish? I said, you sure? And he's like, yeah. So we took Parrish, and it was just Parrish and a group of about seven guys in the big woods at Straight Lake. At one more point in the morning, a group of teal came in, two mallards. The two mallards brought the teal in, and they swung around and just did it right with decoys. And we shot six or seven teal and, and both mallards out of the group. And Parrish just methodically, slowly just went and picked every duck up without him saying a word. Max looked around, he's like, that's a $19 dog right there. <laughs> <laughs> dude there's uh there's something to be said about that you gave him a shot you know you brought him into your family and you gave him a chance to do what he was bred to do and, and that's unbelievable to have him wake up and be able to go hunt with you every day all right head over to loneduckoutfitters.com Anything you need to get you and your dog ready for duck season, whether it be more bumpers, a new e-collar, some launchers, the dummy launchers by DT, wingers, anything you can think of, you can find at LoneDuckOutfitters.com to get you and your dog ready for duck season. Baby. I feel like I got chills. Listen to that. I love, love hearing people tell stories about their dog because that's stuff that you, you like it's so impactful that you'll never forget it. And and you're able to really paint that picture of how thick the ice was that day. You know, well, like it's, it's, it's 110 wild. pounds. I mean, he's just a bruiser. That's true. He just Moses the whole like ice shelf. <laughs> yeah. Pardon the, the, the ice Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's real cool, man. He's a special dog. We're, I know we're running out of time. I know you got to get to dinner, but what is something out of that you've learned owning your own business, building duck calls and hunting all over, what are some pieces of advice you'd give to somebody that looks up to you as, as a leader in the cut down world and duck call making world and duck hunting world? What would you, what would you piece of advice them? Well, one thing I tell young guys when they come to my store and I have guys ask me that same kind of question, and I, I tell people, I tell kids, like, whatever you're passionate about, figure out how to make money doing that. Because, you know, you can say, like, uh, I think I want to be a, a physical therapist or, a, you know, an engineer or, or, or whatever. But 
if that's not what you're passionate about, you'll look up in 15 years and you're going to a hospital every day and clocking in and being out sick people all day. And, hey, I, I love the, you know, the fact that we have people out there willing to, to do those jobs and stuff, but I couldn't do that myself. And I just think of that because when I was in college, that was kind of what I started off at. I was going to go be a nuclear rad tech. I didn't even really know what that meant. Other than like my mom told me it was a good career path, the medical field was a good path to go. And I just think about if I would pursued that, how unfulfilled I'd be right now. And, and, and then all the different careers that I've had, they all were so different. I mean, I've been everything from tankerman on riverboats, loading oil barges, a ship agent, a Mercedes car salesman. I've worked at Mojo Outdoors. I've traded grain as a commodity trader for a living. And each of those things was a stair step and, and, and really kind of opened a door and gave me a skill set that I needed to become an entrepreneur. And I always had an entrepreneurial mindset, but I never really could put all the pieces together. And I think it's just, uh, I got to give the glory to God, honestly. Like every step that I made was like God's plan. And, you know, I just kind of followed it out. Like I got into custom call making by going to church. <laughs> like I blown, like I told you, a Primos winch, a $20 duck call for 20 years. And then we moved to a new town and needed a new church and went to it and Coincidentally, the church service started an hour later than we thought it did. So they put us in a Sunday school room with some the only people they said our age at church there. It was a whole, you know, young small town church. And it was two kids about 23, 24 years old, and their, their girlfriends and their girlfriend's parents were leading the, the Sunday school class. And these two young boys were big into custom calls and trading calls on the pages. And much like you, like it piqued my interest. They invited me to some groups and I started trading duck calls. And so two years later, three years later, I put a benefit for a friend of mine whose daughter had a liver transplant together where I had a custom call maker come in and make calls for the winner of a duck hunt at my place. And then a professional photographer come take pictures of the, of the weekend, candid photography. And that's that weekend was so special. And we raised $13,000 for my friend and, um, you know, uh, after that weekend, I told myself, I'm going to put together hunts that had have a call, custom call being made in professional photography kind of tied to it. And so you got to experience a similar thing. Obviously, I didn't make you a custom call. My plans have changed over that time, but I'm living out what that was, what I originally you know, sought after doing. And um, so, yeah, my advice is just to figure out what you love and, and go find a way to monetize that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. I yeah, couldn't agree you're more. You're doing it too. I mean, yeah. You got to chase the dream. You got to believe in yourself. You got to be good at it. So be a student of the art, whatever that art is, be a student and become the best that you can become at it. And like you said, monetize it. And it's unreal, man. I, I, I will give you a, another round of kudos because that experience we had in Mississippi, Mr. Hunter and his property, God bless big, big bucks and green headed ducks. Every we, we said our prayers and that's how they ended their prayers. And, but the prayers were heartfelt too. Like it was a good heartfelt prayer. And then God bless big bucks and green head ducks. Uh, it was awesome. And what you did for us there was great hospitality. Um, great duck calling fun times. I, I it's a pleasure to now call you a friend. 
and we'll do it again. Brad, thank you for joining us tonight. I know you got to get growing for dinner, but we'll have you back on the show. I want a PSO cut by you, my friend. Bitter patter, let's get at her, all right? Absolutely, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be on here. And uh, Kevin, it was nice meeting you, brother. And uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, let's do it again. Yes, sir. All right, man. Good luck, Doc Hunt, all, all right? right? Thank you, brother. Y'all have a good one. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link, join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it, enjoy it. We did it for you and you're helping us produce a show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you.